Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. be finishing our series about seasons. We're going to be finishing our series about seasons and uh, um, uh, we're finishing our series about seasons. And month we've been talking about how we go through these different seasons in life and how how to really handle a very in a practical life practical um, application of how to handle these different seasons that we go through. And we've talked a lot about um, life application. We talked about the emotionalism that comes. And today we're going to be finishing the series with this final concept of why isn't it working anymore? Why isn't it working anymore? And within this, I, I want us to grasp that it can be in- incredibly confusing when you enter a new season without realizing it. It can be an incredibly confusing moment when you enter a new season in life without realizing it and you'll notice that the things that used to uh, seem to work aren't working anymore the things that used to work in your life are not working anymore and something intangible change and it doesn't necessarily make sense why and learning how to recognize and respond to a change of season is critical to survival with the nature i'm talking about like normal seasonal change from going into winter spring summer is that other one autumn right fall um just in nature we know that it is critical to adapt to the seasons well so it is in the different uh, spiritual seasons in life that we go through and it, whether, uh, when it com- especially when we're trying to find success in different parts of our lives, no matter what it is, relationships, careers, school, education, health, fitness, especially our faith, it is crucial to understand when it is time to make some changes. When I think about faith, I think the biggest season that most people of faith recognize is uh, there's, this, there's this moment that you, it, w- when you go from your initial relationship with Jesus, like your first finding of Jesus. And it seems like everything is incredibly spiritual. Like everything is God speaking to you. I mean, all of a sudden you're driving like, I just noticed that all these telephone poles look like crosses. Oh my gosh. Like everything is spiritual. Everything is Jesus. You turn on the radio station, like that is exactly what I needed to hear. Then a couple months go by and you're like, they're doing another share Like It's just like you start feeling detached emotionally and spiritually from the that special experience you're having at the beginning and it's because your season changed and if you do not change different things within your faith then it'll start to feel like your faith has grown cold you're like well i don't feel the same way that i used to i don't get the goosebumps so easily like i used to i don't feel the presence of god the church must have changed (laughs) so often it's we go through these seasons of changes and god is taking us to a new season that develops our maturity in faith. And if we don't recognize it, we think that we don't have God anymore. So many Christians go through that spell of doubting their own salvation, doubting their own relationship with God because they don't feel like the way they used to feel. And so a lot of that is like what we're talking about today. And as a reflection to better understand 
this, ne this necessity to make changes when we go through new seasons. To, to have some reflection and support to this, I want us to look at this instance in which Jesus made an incredibly big change because of the change of season he went through. And I know that usually we have like a lot of scripture that we unpack within our message. Today, this is going to be the only passage of scripture that we're going to share. Okay? I know, shocking. Has Gravetop changed? No, I just want us to really unpack this scripture because I believe that it's very profound. It says in John chapter 11, uh, that's premature. <laughs> Okay, well, the scripture's not on the screen. You're just going to have to... Is it not anywhere? Oh, man, that's... I don't know how that happened. I need to hire someone to make my slides. I'm obviously overwhelmed. So, in John chapter 11, verses 53 through 54, it says, So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Talking about Jesus. This is the moment that the Pharisees decided to kill Jesus that they started to plot and plan, and they determined within themselves that they were going to kill Jesus. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the region near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. So we're looking at Jesus, okay? Jesus, the Son of God. This is the Jesus who who performed miracles, who boldly went into the temple with a whip and started whipping the merchants and the Pharisees for, for turning the temple of God into a marketplace. This is brave, courageous Jesus who changes and adapts to, the sea, to this change of season and his circumstances that he faced on earth. He, through this simple passage, we're going to unpack three of the most underrated qualities to possess and it's all from this passage that is the ability to recognize a change of season the ability to change when needed and the ability to anticipate the need to change before you need to so let's begin by going in uh, uh, looking at this phrase that we've all said before at some point and that is I could before well I could before well I could before now it's getting in your memory now and starting to bring up. I could before. If we were to really think about the gravity of this short passage of Jesus, it is really astounding. This Jesus, the miracle worker who would draw crowds of thousands of people by just showing up because of his teachings, because of his, uh, of his powerful healings. I mean, demons literally trembled at his name. He would just show up and people would start having demons come out of them because they were terrified of Jesus. This is this powerful Jesus who stopped operating his ministry publicly because of the change of season around him. The, the minute, the moment that the Pharisees committed their hearts to kill Jesus was the moment that Jesus' ministry season changed. It says that he no longer walked around publicly. He literally made a decision to change, a decision to adapt how he did things. I, I, I really think about what he could have said, or I, more so what the disciples probably said. I mean, I could imagine Peter, I could definitely imagine Thomas, James, 
Why, why do we have to hide now? So, so what if they're trying to kill us? I'd like to see them try. That would be Peter. I, I would imagine them saying, we should just keep doing what we're doing. It's working fine. I, I really imagine them to say, Jesus, we shouldn't be operating out of fear. You ever heard that in church before? Shouldn't operate out of fear. See, Jesus made this big change. And if Jesus were to try to have hold on to how things were done before... I, I really believe that it wouldn't have made the same kind of impact as before. I think this is a big point to argue. If he tried to continue to just do the public ministry the way that he was doing before and just acted like nothing changed, even though something definitely did change, it wouldn't have had the same kind of impact. Because we see after this, there's so many passages in which we see conversations and people describing how they were afraid to follow Jesus out of fear of the Pharisees. This new fear developed within this change of season, and people were afraid to openly acknowledge that they followed Jesus. And so, think about that for a moment. It wouldn't have been Jesus just drawing a thousand crowds anymore, when, uh, thousands of people, when he would show up to a place. There would have been a lot more fear causing hesitation. And on top of that, think about the, the moment when Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, tried to go to Nazareth, his hometown, and it said that he performed few miracles there because of the people's lack of belief. So Jesus performed fewer miracles in his hometown because of the lack of belief, the lack of faith of the people there. If we were to combine these two concepts within Scripture, I think it would be a safe place to argue that not only would Jesus not have drawn the same kind of crowd as before, but he may not have even performed as many miracles as healings as before because of the aggressive fear tactics of the Pharisees that would have damaged so many people's faith. It, would have let, it already was making people incredibly confused and having all these doubts. And as hard as it is to accept, this shows us that you simply cannot always do the same things that you used to be able to do. You simply cannot always do the same things that you used to be able to do. It helps us, it really shows us that what worked in your last season may not work in your next season. We see this through Jesus' ministry. If there's anyone that we would imagine to not have to adapt to this world, to not have to change, to not have to experience uh, seasons of life, it would be Jesus. But here we see him making a major change in his whole purpose while being on earth. The whole reason he comes here is to minister to people. And now as he has this change of season, he's preparing to go into this next season in which he goes to the cross. See how even for Jesus, it was seasons that change. And he did not operate the same way with each new season. This truth is multifaceted because it applies to marriage, to family, to finances, to education, to career, to health. Every, it applies to every kind of transition we make in our lives. It makes me think about when I started having kids. I don't even say like when I had my first kid because it's like started having kids. It's like boom, boom, boom. Three kids right after another. 
When, when I started having kids, I realized very quickly that my season changed. The minute that I started having children, this, so many different uh, things had to change within my life because it's a different season. There are certain things that I had to adapt in order to make work. And there were certain, there were certain things that I had to simply postpone until another change of season would come. Like for, uh, for me, fit, I love uh, taking care of my health. I like fitness because it helps me to not do drugs. Okay, it just, it, being able to, it's like the one thing in the world that I feel like I can control is like what I do with my body. <laughs> Everything else is just happens to me. And so I like to exercise. I like, uh, I would always go running before. I would, I would go to the gym. When I started having kids, it changed how I, w- I would experience that kind of exercise. Before, I liked going to the gym, but then once I had my first kids, it was like, I could, I could go as far as a runaway. <laughs> like, uh, I could run and come back, but going all the way to a gym and going all the way over there and having a whole workout routine, it was no longer like as easy within my deck of cards. So I, I enjoyed my old routine of running. But even, even once we had more kids, it's like, that even that changed. The, the way that I would pray changed. I could no longer just pray whenever I wanted. See, when, it, it's like little things that you don't anticipate always when, you, when you're facing a season of change. And now I had to actually really schedule out my prayer life or I wouldn't have one. Y'all feel what I'm saying? It's so often we go through these changes and we start having these repercussions happen in our lives and we're thinking, What happened? Well, we never adapted to the season of change. When we moved to San Antonio to start this church, it was a major financial change. It was a major financial change. See, I went from a secure paying job to where I had a regular income that I could expect to a volatile, <laughs> completely unpredictable income. And the, the, the way that we handled our finances had to change or we wouldn't survive. From simple things, like I had to change major spending habits, like regular eating out could no longer be a thing. Me, I would always take my, uh, Lauren out every Friday night. That was our regular schedule. Every Friday night we'd have a date night and we'd go in Del Rio, Texas, where we lived, we'd go to the most expensive place in town, Manuel's. And there's not one thing on there that's more than, <laughs> more than uh, Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> but it was like our little routine to where we would just go every week. Well, once we moved here, that, the way that we would have our dates change. Sometimes it's going to get coffee. Sometimes it's like going to a place to walk around. Like we couldn't just experience the same kind of financial things that we had before. Or even just uh, little shopping sprees to make me feel better. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So you're feeling kind of like a little, uns- a little discontent in life and feeling a little unsatisfied. You know, I just need to go shopping. <laughs> I just need to buy some new clothes. I, and for me, I went through this spell to where I was like buying, a, I, I made like these little uh, go bags, like survival kits. And in case anything ever hit the fan, we could just grab this bag and go. Well, I got, like that turned my little shopping spree. Like, <laughs> like oh, look, I, got, I, uh, I can buy these. Uh, uh, life straws to where it could purify even uh, contaminated water like this this is fun and little shopping sprees make you feel better in the moment right well see with financial changes it i can't i can no longer just find contentment 
by buying something. I have to find my contentment somewhere else. Even the simplest thing as getting a haircut. Most guys, we get our haircut, what, every two to three weeks, right? Depending on who you talk to. <laughs> Joey in the back, oh yeah. <laughs> 14 days, oh, it's too long. I, I want my hair to look exactly the same all the time. For me, I was like a three-week kind of guy and turned into more of like a six-week kind of guy. <laughs> Sometimes I, I go like, how long can I go? Like It's like limbo for my hair. Like, all right, let's see how long we can go before I look like a... Uh, uh, a wild animal. See, even there's a point where I shaved my head and people thought I was making a, like a, a statement, like, oh, like how hip. <laughs> he's like, he's like just switching up the game. He's like breaking down barriers, shaving off his head, just like Jonah. And, and I remember people coming up to me like, oh man, that's like, so you. I was like, And see, the truth was we had foster kids with us and babies with us, and we were so strapped on money that I had to decide, do I go get a haircut or pay for gas? I shaved my head. (laughs) And see, it was really difficult financial decisions that we had to make because of the season of change. if If you try to hold on, if you try to hold on to how things, what you could do before, what you're really holding on is to your ego because I, I really believe that, that, is a, that this is a hard truth to recognize. And the very thing that I'm talking about, that, that we're, what we're trying to hold on to is, in fact, your ego. And I want us to just like whisper to yourself for a moment, my ego, my ego. Yeah, you don't want to because your ego is stopping you. <laughs> See, we... The ego, it's our pride. It's everything that we see about ourselves. Everything that brings, makes us feel good about ourselves, oneself. And if there's ever a person who would be justified in not needing to change, it would be Jesus. Perfect person, right? The son of God, God incarnate. He would be the one person that could justify not needing to change. And yet he, he chose and was willing to change because being a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man, he was secure in himself. He was incredibly humble. And so he didn't need to hold on to anything of this world to try to find security in himself, to try to cling to confidence because he was not insecure. He was confident and nothing in this world could change that. And I think that that's really what we try to hold on to when we don't want to make those kinds of necessary changes is we're really holding on to our ego. And while he changed, he never changed his message. He never changed his heart. He certainly did change the method and availability in which he shared it. Talking about Jesus. Look at this comparison of Jesus feeding the 5,000 Jesus just showing up and feeding thousands of people. Anyone that shows up is welcome. And if he were to say something wrong, hundreds of people would leave. The people would fic- were fickle. But he would just show up and gather crowds, and it was so smooth. But then look at the comparison to after this moment, the next time that we see Jesus feeding people is only the 12 disciples. And it's at communion. So he goes from thousands of fish stick sandwiches to just some bread and wine. 
couldn't even get like fish at the at the meal. <laughs> but see, the the tone is completely different. He was welcomed into the city with crowds of people waving palm branches and singing. But then, after the change of season, the disciples had to go ahead of him to borrow a room at an end and and get there secretly. Jesus couldn't even go and get the room himself. He had to send the disciples to go and get the room. So the tone is completely different. But because he accepted this change, he was able to see the potential within the change. See, he may not have been sitting with thousands of people who celebrated him one day and were willing to crucify him the next, but he was able to sit with 12 people who mattered most to him. See, it wasn't the crowds and being able to give this, this, this beautiful teaching and, and, and share God's word and show truth, but he was able to speak to the 12 disciples in private. And have you noticed that there's parts of life where you're able to have a lot of friends, but then there's a couple friends, maybe even just one friend that you have. And you're able to be yourself around all of the friends, but there's that one friend that you can really be yourself. You can share even the vulnerable parts of yourself. See, that was what Jesus shows in this display is that within the change of season, he still unlocked potential. And he was able to, uh, he was able to per- personally invest into these, these relationships that were meaningful to him in a deep way to the point that all of them, except Judas, became ride-or-die friends. After the resurrection, that is. But all of them became ride-or-die because of this moment, these moments where he's able to personally show them things, talk to them, and speak to them. Things that, that the big crowds wouldn't have understood. So there's still potential. And if you let go of your ego you will be able to see this unique potential within the change of season. If you let go of your ego, you're able to see the unique potential within the change of season. And in fact, I would say that never let your ego be the reason that you can't grow. Never let your ego be the reason that you can't grow. Originally, I had this quote to say, be the reason that you can't change. But truly, it's one thing to change, but it's another thing to grow. And I think that the number one thing that stops people from growing in life and business and education and whatever in marriage is ego. Every time me and Lauren get into a fight, which is incredibly rare, the number one thing that stops us from retribution, from redemption is my ego and hers, right? Lauren doesn't even have an ego. It's just mine. I have enough for both of us. See, the number one thing in the way is me. We could grow a better relationship, a healthy relationship, but the only thing that would stop that would be one's ego. It's the same for every other aspect in life. Did you know that churches that that have a hard time growing is not because they're not reaching people. It's not because uh, the message is bland, but some of them are. But it's, it's often because of the leadership's ego and not willing to let anybody else handle anything. I've been in ministry now for over 10 years and I'm telling you the biggest disasters I would see was a moment in which the leadership needed to level up but because that meant someone else was going to take their old position 
They were not willing to grow without letting go. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And the, their own ego capped their ministry, capped their potential. It's the same with every other kind of scenario. Our ego is what stops us. And trying to hold on to what it was like before is really you trying to hold on to this former glory that you feel like you experienced. And when you do that, it only blinds you to, to what is actually right in front of you. There's so much beautiful glory in front of us, but we're so fixated what's behind us that we can't set forward. Think about how many people are in their 30s and 40s that are still dreaming about their high school days. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I remember when I was in high school, and I went to three different high schools, so I lost all school spirit. Okay, I do not look at my high school days as glory days. <laughs> it is not fun going from school to school. But I remember older people, when I was a teenager, people in their, their late 20s, in their 30s, and just being like devastated that they were getting older. Like, oh man, but in high school I was, I was the best linebacker. It's like, dog, like, <laughs> like let go, <laughs> let go of it, cut the cord. I remember a specific moment that I went to uh, my brother's wedding and I had, I had just graduated high school and I was, I was like excited to finally be done with school. I was like, like, this has just been a ball and chain holding me back from the world. <laughs> and I was, I was so ready and I, remember, I don't remember if, I, if me and Lauren had already got married or we were about to get married, but it was around this season to where like all this, this big changes were happening and I was just like so excited about moving forward in life. And I had I'd, uh, met, run into this really good friend of my brother's that I knew from my senior year of high school when I met him. And you're 11 years older than me, so he, at the time, I was like 20, and at the time he was, uh, he was 32 turning 33. And he was, uh, he'd been drinking, you know. <laughs> and he was like starting to, you know, feel real relaxed with me. And part of him was cutting up and part of him was being really serious. And he's just talking to me. He's like, and I'm, you know, sharing things that, you know, in my life, catching up. He's like, yeah, I'm turning, turning 33 this year. It's just, don't grow old, man. Don't grow old. It's, I, just, I just wish I could go back and be your age again. Or, man, I remember when I was in high school. And see, it was all this, like, reminiscing. And he was just... Re, trying to relive his glory days in his head. And I was like, hey, bro, bro, listen. You got your whole life ahead of you. Did you know that Jesus, he didn't even start his ministry until he turned 30. He waited to be your age to do anything great in life. And he kind of like lit up. He was like, man, you, you know, you're right. And I was like, oh, wait, shoot, you're turning 33? That is when he was... Uh, that is when he got crucified, though. <laughs> and then he called me an obscenity. But <laughs> what I'm getting at, what I'm saying is, is just like so many of us, we try to hold on to what was when there's truly so much of in front of us. And I remember this, uh, I, I think about the, the, this pride that we hold on to. And... For me, one of the biggest prides that I held on to was, uh, was where I found my identity, and that is what I do, right? So many of us, we look at our identity and what we do. 
Uh, and with, uh, I remember moving here and having to go from job to job to job to job. And at one point feeling like, like good about what I said I did. And now I feel like, man, these, uh, it is not fun saying I'm an Uber driver. <laughs> it's, it's not, doesn't, doesn't inspire like confidence. And I remember this, we're, we're this, this big change again, I'm for us is this big financial change that we went through. And at this at this point, we had just moved here to start a church. We just had our uh, kids and uh, our first baby and got pregnant again. And then we also took in three foster kids to live with us. It's like all these horrible financial decisions in a row. Right. And it was so much change at once. I didn't know what to do. And I remember the moment where, um, where we were having to consider getting on food stamps. And I was like, I, I, I was so upset with where we were because I remember just wanting, I remember being on food stamps as a kid and, and I just remembered, I never wanted to have that for myself when I was older. I never wanted to be in that kind of position as an adult. And I never wanted my kids to have to go through that. And I remember just being so, like have just, like I had this disgust with having to go through that. And I remember as we were having these conversations, I called my dad and I was like, uh, really just venting. And I was talking about how I don't want to have to be doing all that. Like, you know, uh, that's not who I am. I, I, I provide for my family. I had all these, these reasons why I didn't want to. And it, it went into my job too of why uh, I, I don't want to work here. I don't want to do this. And I was just like really having my pity party, you know. I got streamers and everything. And this is like the greatest pity party I was throwing as I was talking to my dad. And none of y'all have met my dad, but he's like this old cowboy kind of guy. And after I got done venting, he just kind of like paused and, and he just told me, well, I, I understand. If there's anyone who understands, I do. I, I, I feel the same way about having like a pride within yourself. But at the end of the day, pride can't feed your family. Oh, man, that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> See, uh, that pride, that ego I was holding on to, it was the only person that I thought it was really benefiting was me. But we try to hold on to that former glory and it stops us from the, poten the potential ahead. And the only thing that was stopping me from taking jobs, from even receiving assistance, was my pride. But when I finally let go of my pride, my ego, I was able to find this overwhelming value and appreciation for my family, for my foster kids, for my ministry, because I was able to go, I was able to let go of certain tasks that I didn't need to be doing. And I was able to let go of large amounts of stress that was hindering me emotionally. And Letting go of my ego helped me to gain experience that truly shaped parts of my belief, parts of my character that I carry to today. Going through that really gave me the insight that shapes me to who I am today. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And those experiences may not have been easy, but they did make me better. And that's the biggest thing I want us to reflect on, on this, this idea of ego, is that Letting go of the ego isn't easy, but it does make you better. Y'all feel that? With this kind of humility check being fresh, I want us to talk about one last concept, and that is the ability to anticipate. And 
It makes me think about that scene from Nacho Libre where, where Nacho re reveals, Ignacio reveals that he's Nacho, the wrestler. And there's that one scene where he's in the orphanage and the guy that, the, the other orphanage worker there looks at him and as soon as it was revealed, he says what? He says, I knew it. <laughs> See, while we can, this, we can break through the surface by being willing to change and in order to solve problems as they arise, I believe that we have exponential breakthrough in our lives when we're, when we, when we're found being willing to change in order to avoid the problem in the first place. So often we wait for the problems to arise before we change to solve them. But there's a level in which we can anticipate and we make the change before the problems arise. Y'all feel what I'm saying? The biggest, the simplest way that we could see this, I think everybody has experienced that's over 18, is the moment that we enter our early 20s and all of a sudden, if you've realized in life, you can no longer just eat the things that you used to eat. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm like back in the day, I could literally eat a triple meat at Whataburger with, with some jalapenos and it'd be nothing. Just go right through me. It's like I, didn't, I was still hungry. Give me a shake to go with this. Now I get, if I get just a double meat, if, if I just get a milkshake by itself, I feel it for a week straight. I, I feel it just like tainting my body, like just, just making me feel lethargic, like, oh, I shouldn't have ate those cookies last night. Like I, it, it affects my body so much, like everything I eat. And there's, there's a select few of people that will change their diet before so that they don't have to diet later. Y'all dig what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's just this like, and everyone's like, you're so thin, like what makes you so special? It's like, oh, well, I just, you know, I, I just don't eat. <laughs> That's the only explanation. But going into more serious problems, I really believe that you can only solve problems before they happen if you're paying attention. You can only solve problems before they happen if you're paying attention. And so many of the problems and dilemmas that we face during different seasons are often avoidable. So many of these problems are often avoidable. Think of how many marriage fights happen because of the couple feeling distant and disconnected. So many couples get in fights, not because of just one single thing, but because there's this underlying tension and tone, this feeling that is just there, unspoken of, that, that is creating everything else more, making everything else more intense. And those, the fights that they get in could have been avoided early on if they were paying more attention to each other's emotional and physical needs. See, we don't, we don't pay attention to these emotional needs of one another. It's similar to scenarios for jobs, educations, and every other major circle in life is that there's something happening, but because we're not paying attention, we only see it when it, when it breaks. 
Paying attention to the details in life is what turns good into great. But our world has become accustomed to checking out mentally as much as possible. People hide in their phones just going out to eat in order to avoid dead space. Think about how, many, how often we look at our phones. You know what I like to do just to, just to make people think I'm a psychopath? Is when I'm in a waiting room, I don't get on my phone. And I just look at the room, look at what people are doing. And people are just like, what is this guy waiting on? <laughs> It's almost like they're uncomfortable because I'm not zoned out on my phone. It's it's caused us to check out in crucial areas of our lives when we should be investing our time and our thought. I think about how many times uh, me and Lauren do go out to eat when we go on a date night, the rare times that we get to now with three kids. And we have just like a rule to where we only have our phone out to check on the kids in case one of them starts like crying and throwing up, which seems like they only do that when we go out. <laughs> but we, we just, we don't check our phones. We don't answer our phones. We don't text or anything while we're on our date because that's our time together. And what I've noticed is it's very rare to see people do that. Almost every table I look at, people are on their phones. I mean, like being on a one-on-one date and both of them are on their phone. And I was like, they're not having sex tonight. (laughs) They're they're too distracted. (laughs) Think about about, uh, for a moment when you're going to go on a big trip. And I, I think about... When I go on a trip, when someone goes on a trip and they're preparing the vehicle, you, unless you have a breakdown, maybe it takes one breakdown before you check everything first. But if you're going to go from like, say, even to Corpus, so you're going to just go from San Antonio to Corpus, maybe you're going to make a big trip and you're going to go, uh, I remember when I uh, was going to marry Lauren, I was going to take her, I drove her to Florida to meet my mom. It was a big trip. Speak of the devil. There she is. <laughs> and... Before making a big trip, you, you have to check your vehicle. You have to check your car or you, are, you might have a, some, some kind of issue arise on the trip and it will delay you or stop you from making it there altogether. I mean, you got you to gotta pay attention to the tire pressure. You got to pay attention to the fluids of your car. Like, does it have oil? Do you need more oil? You, you need to uh, check the antifreeze. And some of you are like, let me write this down. <laughs> So you have, you have to even look to see how much tread is on the vehicle. Like, is it time for these, do these tires need to be changed before we make the trip? And see, there's certain things that you have to anticipate. And even maybe you got like a, a, a car that you have to explain to somebody before you let use it. I used to drive this Chevy, this 97 Chevy Lumina. And anytime someone would drive it, I would have to like share some details about the car before they drove it. Now you have a car like that to where you know it, it leaks antifreeze, or you know that it leaks oil, and so you have to anticipate and get an extra thing of oil to hold in the trunk. You, you have to prepare these things, and it's because you have a destination in mind of where you want to go. And if anything arises, as far as a problem goes within the vehicle, you've already anticipated that, and so you've prepared. I really think that it's that simple with all these other areas of our lives. That when it comes to meaningful relationships, that we should anticipate wear and tear. That if I do not have a regular romantic relationship with my wife, 
then we're going to experience wear and tear. If I do not have intentional just conversation with my spouse, there's going to be wear and tear on us emotionally. If I, if I stop trying at my workplace, if I'm zoned out, if I start slacking off, that's going to create wear and, tail, wear and tear between me and my boss. See, every aspect, education, if I stop studying, if I stop doing the work, if I start staying up late at, if I stay up late at night to where I'm passing out during class, that's going to be wear and tear. So we have to anticipate, and it's, it, it sounds really simple, but I think that there's a big gravity here that most of us just kind of ignore in life because we just coast and we just have this idea that everything will work out. But if you've been alive long enough, you know that the opposite is true. Nothing typically works out the way that it was supposed to. And life just happens to you. So you have to anticipate these kinds of changes. And when you do that, no matter what arises that could hinder you from getting to where you really want to go, you'll be able to handle it just like in nearly everything in life if you pay attention. If you pay attention, if you learn to anticipate. And you'll be able to experience greater glories in life instead of having to focus on the ones that hap happen to happen in your past. I want to close on this final thought within our faith. I said at the beginning that so many people end up having extreme doubts within their faith after what I've found is like three to four years. Sometimes it's nine months. I'm talking about from the 10 years of doing ministry is like the two time frames I've noticed. It's either nine months or two to three years. There's, this, there's just this moment where people go through this change of season. I think that the nine months is this, the, just that, that, like I said at the beginning, that change of season in faith to where you don't get the goosebumps so easily like you did at the beginning. To where it's like, uh, every time you go to church, it's like, man, it's just exactly what I needed to hear. After nine months, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's all right. I think Homer's just not preparing as much. <laughs> <laughs> See, it, after nine months, it's, it's, that, it's like this moment in which you are, like, have to give birth to your maturity and your faith. And you have to start seeking more faith on your own to where you have to start reading the Bible on your own to get what you really need to get. You start having to chew food instead of just drink baby milk. And that's by like just seeking God on your own, taking responsibility for your own faith. Now the two to th that two to three, or what did I say? Two to three years, three to four years? The several years later, what I feel like that moment is, is that change of season emotionally. To where the emotions that brought you to God in the first place change to where you feel like you don't really need God afterwards. Maybe you came to God when you was really good. And after like three years, things get really bad and it makes you feel disheartened towards God. Why would he be doing this? Why would this happen if God is supposed to be good? And that's when all those doubts come in. Or it's reversed where you came out of, to God out of desperation. And all of a sudden things kind of just start working out for you. And you're like, oh yeah, well, you know, you don't have to do this all the time. Like, like yeah, I love God. But... And then it's like slowly that faith just turns into less and less and less. And to where before you know it, it's, faith is just something in the background while something is at your forefront. And I really believe that when we, if we could anticipate this, if you were to, to understand within yourself 
that the way that you feel about God is likely to change because of the change of seasons we go through. If we can anticipate that, then I would make it a priority to make foundations and pillars within your faith now that can stand the storms of life later, the changes of life later. For me, the, I, I've, gone, I've gone through all those moments of doubts like everyone has. And what I've gotten to is the number one foundation that I stand on in faith. No matter how I feel that year, the next five years, no matter what, no matter what happens to me, I stand on this simple principle. That is, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe it. I believe that. I really believe not just because the Bible says it, but because I've, I've found so much historical record, secular records. It is just like a known fact of Jesus' resurrection. And because of this, this reality, it, it takes me more faith to deny that than to accept it because of how much evidence there is of the resurrection. Because of that, that is my foundation that will never change. How I feel is definitely subject to change. But I cannot, it, I cannot put my faith like, well, I'm, I'm, my faith, I'm here because I want to be here for my kids. I love my kids. I want them to experience the goodness of God like I've experienced. But that is still subject to change. You know how many people stop going to church as soon as their kids graduate high school? You know how many kids, as soon as they graduate high school, never go back to church? There's so many things that we put that are fickle that will change. We have to make foundational things. And the very thing that I'm telling you, I found this foundation by seeking God and finding in Scripture that in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, says that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, our faith is meaningless. Our faith is worthless. So the Bible tells you, what to put your faith in, and that is the resurrection. With that being said, I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you have not made a foundation in your faith, I, I really urge you to anticipate the changes of life and seasons and to make your foundation abundantly clear and solid to stand the changing seasons of this world and life. And if you're here and you have never made an actual decision to put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, you've never, put, you've never made this choice to trust Him. Maybe it's something that, uh, where church has just been something you've done, but you've never made an actual personal decision. And you want to do that today. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and acknowledge the, the truth of Jesus being the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead, that that's all it takes to start a relationship with Him, to start this journey with Him. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed and you want to do that today, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see all your hands. And so just there to yourself, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. 
You can talk to God yourself. In fact, He would prefer you to talk to Him yourself. You don't need me or anyone else to lead you by the hand. God wants you to be responsible of your own faith. So simply talk to Him. Say where you're at in your life. Tell Him where you want to be with Him. Whatever it is that you need to say, just get that out now. While they're doing that, for the rest of you, if you're here, in the same kind of attitude of prayer, if you're here and you feel like this is exactly what you needed to hear today, that the Holy Spirit is just moving on your heart, not only does it, does it make sense that it was for you today, that it's exactly what you need to hear, but you just feel the Holy Spirit impressing on your heart that this is for you. You feel that unique pressing of the Holy Spirit. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray that you finish what you started in your people. I thank you that you are indeed speaking to them. And I pray that you finish what you started. I pray that you cause them to experience your presence and that you would help them to navigate through the changes of seasons they're going through. Teach them how to accept the change and be willing to change. Teach them how to let go of ego and show them, Lord, how to anticipate how to uh, change in the future. I thank you for even right now, there's some people that you are speaking directly to about anticipating change because nothing has changed yet, but they have been feeling like something's going to change and you've been prepping their hearts and you're speaking directly to them right now. I thank you, Lord, that you are ministering to them and that uh, it, Anyone here where that's you, you just need to know that the Holy Spirit is just confirming to you to, to walk by faith in that area, whatever it is. I thank you, God, for all these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So with that being said, we're going to uh, we're gonna get ready to go into a time of worship. Uh, before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you all. Have a good life. And before we go into this time of worship, uh, I want to share this. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, Thank you for being a part of Grave Top Church.